Hi everyone, this is Miles again from Mailjet and welcome to our mini podcast series, GDPR Beyond Borders, where we hear from experts and practitioners about how American businesses in particular can prepare for and stay compliant under GDPR. This is episode three, and in this episode, it features a panel of experts discussing approaches to achieving and maintaining GDPR compliance. To get you prepared, we'll walk you through the major steps that should be included in your company's compliance roadmap. We'll also share firsthand insights from companies who are far along in their own compliance journey, including common challenges and the necessary investments you likely will need to make. We will go now to our panel. Thanks for listening. As always, be sure to check out mailjet.com GDPR for all sorts of resources around this topic, as well as actually some videos and uh, some slides from this past events. Thank you so much again. I'm Marissa Eidlett. I lead marketing at Braze, and we're in a very interesting uh, position where we're both um, having to become compliant for our technology company, but also on our marketing team, we really have to think about marketing in a completely different way. So I'm extremely excited to have this esteemed group of, of panelists up here with me to talk about the approach to GDPR and, and how you really get started. Now, this is something we've learned a lot about as we've talked to many of our clients along the way. And we've learned a tremendous amount, but I've learned even more as I've talked to, to these folks here. So I'd love for them just to introduce yourselves. We have Fuad. Why don't you start and just talk to us a little bit about your background and... and... All right. My name is Fuad Khalil. I'm the head of compliance at Security Scorecard. My background is compliance, compliance, compliance. I've actually been touching up on many frameworks, many audits, and had fun from HIPAA to SOX to um, now GDPR, ISO, and the like. Um, I'm a proponent of the deep dive as GDPR is bringing forward to organizations simply because of compliance by design. Uh, the fact that you implement continuous compliance as well, keep auditors off your back. So I'm excited to this conversation and looking forward to some good ideas and suggestions. Uh, hi everyone, good morning. My name is Ben Hoxie. Uh, I'm the director of product management at MParticle and I've been leading our efforts um, to build features to support our clients around GDPR. Hi, everyone. I'm Kate Hooker. I am uh, lead the legal department at Greenhouse Software, which is a um, HR tech platform. Um, and yeah, I, I've been working for a long time um, on GDPR, sort of what um, Susan was saying in the last session. It became very clear early on that um, this was going to be a very important issue for our customers. Um, and, uh, you know, a competitive advantage for us. So that's why we've been focusing on it. Great. So I'd love to talk about philosophy first. Everybody has a different approach to the way that they think about GDPR. Ben, why don't you start and talk to us a little bit about your philosophy at MParticle and in your particular role and what you're really seeing? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, you know, so MParticle, for those who don't know, is a customer data platform. We, customer data is sort of the lifeblood of our business. Um, and so with regards to the GDPR, you know, we, we approached it from two, two macro angles. One is um, how do we become compliant for cases where we're the controller, for so marketing targets and, uh, and, and sales targets and things like this. And then how do we build features to support our clients' compliance for all the customer data that we steward every day, um, supporting them um, through things like uh, we're, we've announced new features around consent management and uh, some features to help support the 
the rights of the data subjects for access and portability and erasure. Um, so, you know, it, in terms of philosophy, you know, I, I personally love the GDPR, and uh, I'm happy to, to be in a position as a, not a broker, but a, a, middle, a, a middle layer of customer data to, to really push the envelope of what can the technology do to support compliance. Okay, what about you? What about your philosophy at, at Greenhouse? Uh, it would be tough for me right at this moment to say I love the GDPR, but, um, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think we, we're actually in a somewhat similar um, position, it sounds like, to MParticle in the sense that we are, you know, and I don't know if this was covered in a prior session, but like the, the difference between a data controller and a data processor is a big um, distinction within the GDPR, and we sort of occupy both roles. Um, we, you know, have our, our marketing contacts and our sort of like sales CRM and stuff. So we collect data from prospect customers and stuff in the EU, but then we also manage HR data um, that comes from our customers in the EU that is, you know, applicants um, who are data subjects. So we had to do this sort of bifurcated approach where we're, you know, becoming in greenhouse is becoming compliant in its own right. But then we also had to build out features, talk to our customers, figure out ways that we could help them with their compliance obligations. Um, and it, it's been really interesting. It's, I mean, one thing that I would say I love about it is it's enabled me to work with, I mean, it really touches every department in our company at this point. Um, and so I've you know, had to collaborate a lot with product, which I hadn't been doing as much. And now that there's sort of like a privacy design by design mandate, I imagine I'll be working with product a lot more in the future. And um, that's been great. So. And Fuad, what about your philosophy? Um, from a practitioner perspective, I mean, we've all been through the Sarbanes-Oxley and other frameworks, and then HIPAA, high tech came on board. They come as tidal waves hitting us, forcing us to do changes and implement controls and scramble to become compliant. But if you think about it, it gets you to a point where you are in a comfortable place. You have controls, you can answer to auditors, you can provide assurance to your customers that your data is protected, the processes around it are secure, and the result is good for everybody. There is the occasional milestones or pain points where auditors come knocking saying, show me the evidence, and the unfortunate mishap of data compromise or potential compromise where you have to explain it. In the same token with GDPR, there is a good tone to it. Eventually the data will become more accurate, will become more locatable, so to speak. The controls will be quite efficient around it, and it's good for business. So there is a positive twist to this. So it can be, it can be very overwhelming. I heard a question asked, I think that was, was up here, just about you know, how prepared companies are today. And I'm sure many of you in the room have either been working on it for a long time or you're here to learn more about what you should be doing. You know, one thing that I think is always difficult when you, you go back to the office and you still have everything else you have to do, how do you prioritize is something I think about a tremendous amount. So I'd like to know from you guys, how do you, what do you prioritize first on your journey to become compliant? You wanna, you wanna take the first one, Flav? Sure, Vlad? sure. <laughs> um, I look at these initiatives as a, from a compliance perspective, you have to have a process background. It's a process improvement initiative, okay? So you need to figure out what all the requirements driving you to implement GDPR. Based on that, and it's all risk-based, so you have to follow the data through your organization. The way I like to do this is you put your chef hat on and you put a little bit of a Sarbanes-Oxley, a little bit of a, a security breach le legislation, 
put some steroids on the definition of PII and add to it some online identifier information, it's the same thing. But it is a little bit complex. So as long as you follow the letter of the law in terms of first, where is your data? How is it being processed? Where is it being housed? And where is the final resting place before deletion? That's a great start. At the same token, you have to have management commitment from the top down, as well as you have to have complete awareness of the program. So to sum it up real quick, know your data, be ready for the controls, ensure management commitment, and make sure everybody's aware of what's coming and when. So start with knowing your data. Critical. What about you, Ben? How do you prioritize? Yeah, I, I think they made this point on the last panel, which, which, I, which I'll reiterate because I agree with it so much, is that the best thing to do to, be, to start is to do an impact assessment, right? Part of the impact assessment is to, to write down what you collect, what do you do with it, where does it go, why are you using it, what's the, but really you have to start, start sort of swimming in the, in, your, in the personal data that you're collecting and processing. Um, I think alongside that is to, to build a, uh, I don't know, if, a committee of, of internal stakeholders that can work on it. Um, and I think the last thing that I, I would suggest in terms of prioritization is if it's confusing or if you're swimming in legalese, then you may need legal help to help interpret it and apply it to your company. Um, I think those three things, maybe that's too much, and then, again, then you're compliant, but um, you know, I think that's a, that's a good start. Yeah, um, I, def I totally agree with what um, both of you guys said. I think the most important thing is is getting a real handle on your data and also, um, as I mean, speaking as a lawyer, like for me, one of the biggest things I've had to do is get a real handle on our, um, like, you know, vendors and our customers, and make sure that our contractual obligations with both um, are sort of up to date and enter into DPAs where necessary. Um, and so it's just like an idea. It's like having sort of a picture of the entire universe of the data that you handle, where it comes from, where it goes, um, is the first thing you need because you're gonna start the other steps and then suddenly, you know, I guarantee it, or at least <laughs> in my case, you know, someone is gonna be like, oh, well, what about this vendor that we've been sending data to? And you're like, wait, what? No one ever told me about that. So, you know, I think that's, I, if I could have done it over, I would have, gotten more people involved earlier on and made it sort of more of a um, company-wide initiative where everyone's on board and everyone understands exactly what we need to know um, instead of trying to like keep it among sort of like a few key stakeholders because it really is something that extends throughout the entire company. That's actually a good segue into my next question. And you had mentioned this a little bit in, in the last response you had around the teams that you work with and how closely you've been working with product. You know, there this just touches so many people within an organization. And all of you guys have been working on this for months and months and months. So I'd love to hear from, from you a little bit more, Ben, on how you guys have approached this internally, what teams are you working with, um, what's your philosophy behind that, and then, you know, Kate, I know you've, you've got some thoughts on that, and I know, Fuad, you do as well with recommendations on who else to bring in. Yeah, sure. Um, so, so, you know, as I mentioned, the, the business of MParticle is in personal data, and so when we set out to think about GDPR, we really split it in half. So, first of all, we, to answer your question, we we sort of started this working group, um, and it included folks from marketing, it included folks from HR, included um, our COO, you know, it, it included um, engineering and product, um, did I leave anyone out? Client services, of course, um, sales. So, you know, we, we really got uh, representation from a huge swath of the business. Um, 
I, should, I shouldn't leave out legal, of course legal. Um, and, and we divided it in half. So half of it was about how do we become compliant for the, the data processing for which we're the controller. So this is data for which we, we define the collection and purpose. Um, and then the other half, which, which I've been a bit more involved in, is because our business is in um, stewarding and distributing our, cust our clients' customer data, um, how, can we, how can we sort of read the tea leaves of the regulation and try to figure out where the industry is going with the end goal of building, building product features into the platform that support our clients. So trying to push the boundary, trying to, trying to lead a bit um, in terms of uh, if we have the data subject data, can we add consent to that? Can we do intelligent things with the data uh, routing and, and forwarding and things like this? Um, does, that, does that answer? Yeah, no, that, that's helpful. You, you meet weekly? Uh, I think it's every two weeks. Every two weeks. I got a call on the way here this morning from uh, our head of uh, demand gen, worried that he wasn't going to be able to make our weekly GDPR meeting because we're all going to be here yeah. because we take it very seriously. But I mean, you, meeting as a group really helps. And, and we, have a, we have a good shepherding system with an executive sponsor and a, and a program manager on our team. Kate, you work really closely with the, the product team. Who else do you work with? And how do you kind of think about implementing this as you pull together these working groups? Yeah, um, I work with the product team in the sense that, as I mentioned earlier, we, we are building a lot of features to help our, our customers um, with their compliance obligations. And that's been, um, uh, you know, the, the product team has been great and just sort of run with the things that we need to do. Um, and I'm also working very closely with our information security team. There's, we, I'm really lucky in that we have a fantastic um, <laughs> engineer who, who heads up that department. And he and I are sort of like the GDP, the people who just are constantly screaming at everyone about the GDPR. Um, and it's been really helpful um, to have him. And then, you know, marketing um, is, is someone that you know, in sales we've been, I've been working with a lot um, more recently. Um, and it's, I mean, honestly, and op customer success, um, you know, because they have to message um, what we're doing and, and they are fielding questions all the time from customers. So um, it, it really is like a, an effort that, that goes throughout the org. Um, and I would just add to that we have a great uh, outside council um, who's located in the EU, which has been really helpful because, as I think others have said, this is a very wide-sweeping general law, um, and it just isn't immediately obvious always how it would apply to your company's specific situation. Um, and even, you know, outside counsel who does this all the time um, doesn't always know exactly. It's, there's some guesswork involved. So it's really um, imperative, I think, to consult with, with um, a real you know, expert uh, on this and, and make sure that the approach that you're taking and the philosophy that you have is reasonable and one that, that will work. And right for your business, because every business has such a different approach. And you're in a very unique spot being both a processor and a controller, you know? <laughs> right. Fuad, you have, a, you have a lot of different thoughts on this. You know, you've obviously worked with a variety of different folks. Who do you think needs to be involved in the process of becoming compliant and, and consistently, you know, following all of the regulation? Um, as I mentioned earlier, it's a process, okay? GDPR does not mandate data mapping, but they mandate data protection impact assessment. How am I going to assess the impact of my data without knowing where it is? 
So first up, by identifying data mapping activities, that will tell you where the data resides, what state, how it's being processed, and who owns or touches that data. That is going to drive all the divisions that are in scope of your G GDPR implementation. In most cases, it could be the entire organization. And let's not forget, your data is also transitioned to suppliers and vendors. So that realm has to be also within scope. We can't forget about the outsiders touching our data, processing our data on our behalf. So you're going to find yourself looking back and saying, OK, I have all this data. I have all these different groups. So by implementing a project that your direction is simply being GDPR requirements, and how are you going to minimize risk to data that is residing in different repositories, processed by different applications, and owned by different departments? That becomes a straightforward project that gives you the risk-based, which is what GDPR is all about, in my opinion, gives you the risk-based approach to minimize the risk and make sure that the data is safe. The one thing I always keep in mind is, if an auditor comes knocking on your door, what do you have in hand to satisfy their questions or what they're looking for, or at least show progress towards compliance? So Fuad uh, made this point earlier, and I thought it was it was a great way of thinking about it. So I just want to underscore that last point that he said. You know, where do you get started? How do you think about it? Well, if an auditor came to your door today, what do you have to, to show for it? What what have you thought through? And that's a that's a place to start. Just getting ready for that is is critical. So I want to talk a little bit about the challenging parts of this. You guys have obviously mentioned some of that. Working across many different teams can be challenging. So uh, I definitely recommend regular meetings and project management systems and really getting everybody in your org sold into it is, is the key piece that helps you be more efficient afterward. I want to know about challenges, though. This isn't this isn't easy. Kate, you've been working on this for months. Tell me about you know a challenge that, that you've had and, and, and how, how you've kind of solved for it as you've started to implement this change. Um, yeah, I mean, there are, are continued to be challenges all the time. I think um, it's just so much. Um, there's so many things that um, have to be considered and thought about. And again, it's not like the, the actual piece of legislation gives you like a precise roadmap in each instance. So you'll be thinking about something through one lens for, you know, a month or two, and all of a sudden you're like, wait, no, you know, that that isn't actually right. We are actually controlling some data that comes in through that way. We're not just acting as a processor or whatever it is. Um, and so that has been um, challenging, and I guess the thing that has helped, and I think I don't know. I've been to a bunch of panels like this, and it, someone always says, and, and I find it helpful, is just we're kind of all in this together. Like, no one, this is a real big blow <laughs> um, and a big change. And, like, certainly as a lawyer, it's not, I don't know, I just feel like we're sort of trained to be like, we know what the landscape is, and we're either on the wrong side of it or on the right side of it. And it's very sort of, secure in your knowledge that you're complying with the law. And this one feels a little more wild, wild west. Um, and, you know, I think the important thing is, is talk to talk to other people, come to things like this, um, who are, who are, you know, grappling with these issues and see that everyone's sort of figuring it out. Um, and, and find some experts who can really um, you know, you can do a gut check with, um, I, I actually went to a pan panel like this and heard um, 
uh, a lawyer speak uh, about the GDPR at a time, you know, it was over a year ago when I was really, didn't know a lot about it and was really scared by it. Um, and he just made everything sound so clear and practical and understandable that I was like, oh, I need to hire that guy. And I did. Um, and it's been a really great um, experience um, working with him. And, and, you know, and I think as everyone learns more and more about it within your org, like everyone wants to help and everyone wants Greenhouse to be compliant and it's a common goal within our org too. And so, um, you know, you just have to sort of campaign a little bit internally and get everyone um, understanding how important it is. Ben, what about your challenges? What's the most challenging thing? Yeah, you know, I, I think you make a great point. For me, the hardest thing is is the blessing and the curse of the vagueness of the legislation in that it, it really um, is about intention and about a new way of thinking about personal data, but it doesn't prescribe really what to do in a lot of cases. You know, the last panel talked about the, um, the umbrella uh, of reasons for legal processing. I think there are six of them, and so there's a bunch of vagueness there about which do we pick and how do we do it, and you know, I, I think the, the, the fun part about, about these kinds of events and these kinds of discussions is that this is the industry figuring it out, right? This is, this is us trying to say, this is how we're interpreting it within the spirit of the law, and this is how we think is a reasonable approach, and this is what we need to do, and because it really encourages everyone to take to build their own their own approach for it, right? It doesn't say you have to do this and then you're good, which I, I imagine is d tough for a lawyer. For a product person, it's like kind of fun because there's a little bit of room to swim to say, oh well, here's 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 how we build a flexible solution, or here's how the options might check out. And um, so it, it's the vagueness is definitely the hardest thing, but um, I, I don't know, maybe is it rude to say the most fun? I don't know. Well, I mean, most fun and most challenging. Sometimes challenging can be very fun. You guys were talking a little bit about the right to be uh, forgotten earlier. I'd love to to hear a little bit more about that as a challenging uh, factor for brands. Is, is, could you talk about this, Fouad? Continue down the path of challenges. Yeah. Um, yeah. You don't know what you don't know. So statistically, I'm seeing some numbers where a lot of organizations are not ready for GDPR or have not even started GDPR compliance programs. That's a huge challenge, I tell you right off the bat. In addition, when you look at that, if you don't realize how mature your privacy programs are or how effective your internal control framework is, you might be halfway there. So the best step to do is figure out what you have in place now that will bring you closer to compliance and then leaving you the remainder of steps to get there. So I've seen data mapping is the biggest challenge. Mm -hmm. Where is the data? How much of it is protected? How much of it, how much of it is being processed and by what? And what is the state of different data at different uh, parts of its life cycle? Also, the big question about data protection officer. Mm -hmm. That role, mm -hmm. I've seen basically the description of that role that person should be a superstar. They should be legal background, security, privacy, compliance, and on the like. Good luck finding them because last number I heard, they were looking to hire about 28,000 DPOs by May of this year. So we need just 28,000 of those superstars. And last but not least, it's, it, it is a process, a, proje a project. So if you don't have the resources in place to make sure that things are getting done timely, so work back from effective date to the, today and make sure that your plans are leading to, in that direction, Hopefully, you'll get a day where you can sleep a little bit better. If I'm an auditor myself, even if you're not at a point of compliance, but you show progress, you show somebody's name on that effort, and you show a deadline or a date when that is going to take effect and satisfy the, the law, is a good step. Versus knowing there's a risk and an issue, and you're not taking any action towards that, then that could be a different conversation. All right, well, I'm going to jump to the question about DPO then. So, they're a hot commodity. What's your advice on... on 
how brands and companies should approach finding somebody. If you're, if you're a <laughs> or large... Or somebody in their org, yes. rather, right? right? If you're a large organization, can afford it, go find the superstar. Uh, I've also seen a lot where they have a DPO function where different people put on different hats. So that function will be responsible for DP, DPO responsibilities, which is probably recommended simply because different people, different expertise, when they collaborate and work together, think the outcome is a lot better than one individual making all the decisions. Plus, the DPO responsibility, they own this data protection impact assessment. They own where the data is. They own the relationship with the supervisor authority. So having multiple resources, executing that function, is going to put you in a better place to plan, accommodate, and be ready for an audit, or God forbid, a breach. All right, I'm going to jump into some rapid-fire questions for everybody. And then I'm going to open it up for questions because I want to make sure that we have a chance for everybody to ask this amazing group here uh, some stuff. So first rapid-fire is what do you know today that you did not know when you first started? Why don't we start with you, Ben? I, I, what, did I, what did I know today that I didn't know when I first started? You know, I, I, I guess I'm, every time I talk about this topic, I'm impressed with the maturity that the EU court system has. I know it was a long time coming, and you know, the, from the history in 95 to 2012, but like compared to American privacy law, I think it's pretty cool. And I'm upbeat about it. What about you, Kate? What's one thing? Um, I learned a lot about <laughs> engineering and and data and where it goes. Like I was always sort of, you know, I was like an English major. I am not an engineer. Um, and I sort of like any other red-blooded American kind of like log into social networks and had never think about where anything goes. And um, it's been a huge education, like just a little company like Greenhouse, um, you know, the amount of places where we get data and then where we, the sub-processors we use um, who help us provide our services. It's like an incredible web of companies. And then you look at like all of our clients are in the same, or all of our customers are in the same position. All of our vendors are in the same position. It's like, it's amazing the size of it. How big is your company? How many people? Uh, we're at about 230 now, so. Wow. Yeah. What about you? What's one thing you've learned about GDPR that uh, has helped? Um, trying to get my grasp around what their definition of personal data is. Hmm. I mean, living in the world of PII and PHI for years, it's much, much easier. But as you deal with GDPR and the personal data definition, it's everything. So my logic has been, when in doubt, protect. Don't question whether it's in scope. Just assume it's in scope. Because you look at the data subject, and you look at the potential data elements around their information, everything you can think about from a financial, personal identifiers, online identifiers, banking, social information, it's all in scope. And the tricky part is, in some cases, encrypted or not, may also be in scope of GDPR. So just to keep our arms around personal data is getting better, but I'm not there yet. That's helpful. So we have a couple things up on the screen here, and I'm going to bring it back for another rapid rapid fire, but I wanted to go through it because I mentioned this at the onset and we wanted to pull some of the key takeaways from our panelists to give you guys tangible to-dos to think about. You know, as you leave this conference later today and you get back into the office and you start to think about 
where do I start, what do I do, right? And it's really important to think through and just start with that itemized list to what Fuad was saying, having that uh, checklist, thinking about it like you're doing an audit, what is that itemized list and just pulling it all together, getting it all together. Then once you get it together, how do you understand where all the data is going and what it is. To, to Kate's point, you know, she's learned so much about data moving in, in all of these places and she'll uncover you know, a rock and, and see another, another bit of the, the data. So really understanding whether you're a controller or you're a processor and what that data is after you get that itemized list together. And then finally, documenting the ways that you're going to adjust and process and think about this in the future. I know that you know our team, we've, I'm looking right, right at our, our head of security over here, and you know I had a list months and months and months ago of every single vendor that I work with from a marketing perspective and going through and looking at who owns it, where the, what data is collected, where the data is going, what we're doing about it. It's just really critical because you feel like you're in more control of what you need to do when you're organized around this. And I know at our company, so I'll start with my piece of advice and then and maybe we can go through. You know, we believe so much in transparency and, and trust and making sure that, you know, we're helping guide, guide the way along this path. And, you know, if there's, there's the biggest bit of advice I can give, it's just, understand where you're at today so then you can start the path of moving forward to where you need to go. So what about you? What's, what's a piece of um, advice for everyone? Auditors trust everybody, <laughs> but they simply they have to verify the trust. Okay? So document, document, and document. Because when they come in asking, they're not going to ask for your opinion. They're not going to just interview you. They need artifacts. They need evidence to show progress, implementation, and evidence of compliance. So if you claim you do your data protection impact assessment on an annual basis, evidence of that should be there. If you claim you know where all your data and the associated consent is, you should have evidence for that. So trust but verify, document, 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 and make sure that you're ready for the auditors come knocking. What about you, Ben? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say don't be afraid of the scope. I mean, it's huge, and you know, don't get bogged down in some of the details of the scope, and instead sort of start to internalize the spirit of it. Um, I think the impact assessment is, is the perfect way to start. I think it's what the auditors are going to look for and the regulatory authorities are going to say, show me some evidence that you've, you've done some diligence here. So that's the perfect place to start. Um, but, you know, just get started. Yeah, totally agreed. I think um, because of the fines and because of the scope and, uh, you know, there's a lot of sort of like hysteria right now. And, um, you know, I, I have customers and prospects calling me all the time and they're sort of like hysterical is the, with the word for it. Um, and you go online and there's like a lot of misinformation being spread. Um, so I think my biggest piece of advice is just like take a deep breath, approach everything, you know, all the new information that comes at you sort of calmly. Um, as I think the last panelists were saying, like, I don't, you know, I think it's a, not the expectation that everyone is going to be like perfect, perfect, perfect on May 25th. Um, but I think the important part is to show that you're taking steps, making a concerted effort, and have like made some changes. Um, and that's, that's sort of your halfway there at that point. Can I do a show of hands in the audience? How many of you have already begun the GDPR process? Okay, and, and for those of you, how many haven't? How many are, are here to find out where do I start? 
Thank you for being honest. No I am shame. sure there are some, there are, there are several several hands in here. So, I know you guys all just gave some advice on where do I start, but for somebody who is here for the first time, just trying to figure out, oh my goodness, like what do I what do I do? Um, is there anything else you'd share with them? I can answer first while you guys think about it because I was thinking through as you guys were talking. Um, like campaigning and making sure everyone in your org understands the importance of it, I think has helped tremendously. We have a fantastic legal counsel. She has been campaigning and talking to us about GDPR for over a year. We all know about it and we all should know about it even more, but uh, that is a place that I, I think would really, really start to make sure everyone else understands probably the anxiety that, that you're going through as you think about how do, how do I move this forward. Yeah, I think one way to get to take the, the anxiety down a notch is to, yeah. um, A, get started. We, we all talked about the impact assessment already, but I think having a, a common approach, so it's sort of like, yes, everyone has to be compliant, but you need to develop what does it mean for you. So for MParticle, you know, I talked about mm -hmm. these two splits, and we're trying to make it a, a, a competitive advantage. We're trying to add a lot of value to our platform based on it. it that, that may not apply to everyone. Some, some companies may you know, doing the minimum to be compliant may be the end, and that's great, and that works for you. Depending on sort of where you are and who your clients are and what your business is, you've got to have a joint approach to how do you want to approach it, because you don't want just to be scared and, and worried that you have to right. do everything in it. Right. You want to say, what does it mean for me? Right, and finding the right partners, to your point, that are actually thinking about it is, is a huge component as well, because the more you're working with people that are on the same page, they can teach you along the way and be a true partner to you. I'd love to open it up for questions. Got, got several here, so we'll take the one in the back first, and then there's one up front we can take. How are you thinking about and how are you being creative about actualizing consent? And so on the product side, are we thinking about the old, ward, old world order where a pop-up and closing a pop-up is sufficient for a user or a consumer? Or are we going farther than that with direct messaging and text messaging consent? And on the legal side and compliance side, how are you thinking about the level of detail you're providing a consumer that you're asking them to consent to? I mean, so I, I think that this is one of the most interesting topics in the GDPR of, of lawful mm -hmm. processing, and, and there's six reasons I think consent is one of them. The other two interesting ones are legitimate interest and for execution of a contract, I think. Then um, there's a couple others like to protect the state and compelled by the law and stuff like that that nobody wants to talk about. Um, so I think really each company needs to look at the three reasons and say, what do we want our approach to be based on our uses of the data? Um, so, so first of all, I think I, I sort of think that's the groundwork. Sorry, my preambles for, for GDPR. Um, I, I think consent um, it, it encourages consent a lot in that you know it doesn't want everything to slide back into to legitimate interest and have everything be buried. Um, in terms of implementing it in reality, I think was your question. Um, you know, I, it defines the privacy notice and it defines a bit of guidance around how to articulate what gets collected and how it gets used and where it goes. Um, and, and you know, I think so. If a company chooses to go with consent, I think that they're going to end up having to provide a few summaries of where does each type of data go, and you're going to have to say, okay, I, I was in the UK last week and I saw my first one um, as an American on Google Maps. And it popped up and it said, we need to talk about, about what we're going to do with the data that we collect. And I said, OK. And then it said, here's the stuff we do, and here's what we use it for. And I was like, oh, this is super cool. This is what I've been reading about. It's happening. Um, uh, 
to pitch real quickly, well not pitch, but um, so we're working on a bunch of features that, that will help companies track consent. So we have an identity management platform um, and we're building a lot of features that we announced I think last week um, that will help report consent as a discrete event and track it and implement um, logic in your data flows to make sure that the consent is honored. So I'll leave it there, but um, I think it's, a, it's an awesome topic. Yeah, um, I uh, agree. I do think um, that consent is one of the things that, when I was talking earlier about some misinformation being spread, I think immediately after people started learning about the GDPR, it was suddenly this idea like, you can never ever have data unless someone has consented to you having that data, and it, that is not the case. In fact, there are six distinct um, legal reasons why you can process data that are clearly laid out in the GDPR, um, and legitimate interest is, is actually one that covers a lot of the scope of the data that we process um, um, on behalf of our customers, and that's a, it causes a lot less headache um, for our customers uh, because the, you know, and I think this was getting at the root of your question, but the consent, if you're relying on the consent justification, you're opening yourself up to a lot of really intense obligations and monitoring and, I mean, these features that, <laughs> that um, are being built are, are a testament to that. So I think that's a question that, um, I, you know, that's the kind of thing where, you know, if you do have outside counsel um, who's really well-versed in this and, and can help you sort of sort through, like, exactly what your data is and how it's being used and help you determine which justification you want to rely on, um, that's a, a really good place to start once you know, once you've mapped your data. If I can add to that, the exercise I mentioned earlier, data mapping, which is truly not mandated by GDPR. But when you map the data, not only identify where the data is, but identify the classification of it, and then identify what type of consent it would need, and if you have already some consent, some level of consent available. Again, it all becomes a project plan for you to identify, here's my data, here's the classifications, here's where the consent is required, and then it'll highlight the gap analysis showing you where additional work for consent is needed. And now I've seen a lot of organizations taking that exercise to make sure that they have the scope around it, then they make the decisions accordingly. Great. We had another question up here. I think we have time for one more. So my question is, take in consideration in 2018, companies using different approaches. Some of them, they need a framework, a roadmap, and they need a prescription of knowing what are the best approaches of something they have as a reference. If there's a business need to have an international organization for GDPR, we have IEEE, we have PMI, can we do something like that for GDPR? I think that sounds great, I'm into it. You know, I, I think as, as people that have to, as representatives of companies that have to be compliant, again, it's on us to figure out what's the solution. We don't all have to reinvent everything, to your point. And so I think that those kinds of standards and those kinds of commonalities will emerge, both from a, how do we, how do we uh, be compliant in practice, but also are there open standards, are there, are there things that we can do to make it easier for everyone, that we can sort of join together um, to, to be compliant together, because Someone mentioned, you mentioned earlier that we're all in this together, and I think that's true, and there's no, you know, there's no reason not to, to share work and to, and to work together in the same, in the same way. So we don't have any 
I don't think it exists yet, but if you want to start one, I'm in. I'll meet you afterwards. <laughs> but but the, let me add, though, there's a lot of reputable uh, industries and organizations out there. They're already taking a step towards making GDPR life easier for organizations, such as the IIA, Institute of Internal Auditors, ISACA, uh, ISO 27000 and the like. Even the OCR and HHS for HIPAA, looking at impacts of GDPR to managing health information. That's going to force them to put together the best practices to make life easier. And when I see a trend like that, eventually somebody is going to own it and call it at some point the International GDPR Guidance Committee or whatever it may be. There's no avoiding it, especially as it propagates into the different uh, areas in the globe. There's no avoiding it, but it's not happening yet. Great. Well, thank you so much uh, for, for sharing all of your knowledge with everybody. We really appreciate it. And don't, don't forget these... Uh, these three, these three points. We're going to be sharing a lot after this event and different documentation and, and FAQs with you guys. But uh, this is a really great place to start. I know I see some people that were taking out their, their cameras when we flipped it last time. So I'll leave you with this and bring Judy right back on up. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to episode three of GDPR Beyond Borders. As a reminder, we've released all four episodes at once, so keep the binge going and move on to episode four, which will actually be our final episode. And we'll be discussing how to work with your third-party providers to ensure compliance throughout your entire supply chain. This is particularly relevant uh, in the software space. Thanks again. Be sure to check out mailjet.com GDPR for all of your GDPR questions. And we will see you in the fourth and final episode. Thank you.